Father, we thank you again that you have allowed us to open up to meet together, and we thank you that the order has come down officially. It is tomorrow, Monday, that these restrictions are going to be lifted, not only on churches, but also uh, private businesses, salons and uh, gyms, things like that, Lord. And we would ask that you would bless the people who own those businesses, that you would cause them just to be flooded with patrons, and that you would help our economy to recover. And for those who would oppose such a move, I pray that you would suppress them, Lord, that you would help them to have a change of heart, a change of mind. For there's nothing that we can do that would influence someone else because we know that this issue is down in the heart. And you are the one that changes hearts. And so, Father, as we also look into your word today, we pray that you would bless it, use it, multiply it in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, it's wonderful to open back up again. I've missed the Fellowship of the Saints getting together. And for those who are at home, again, I just want to personally invite you back uh, to come back. But, you know, this COVID thing has really taken a toll in so many ways. Things are changing beyond what, they, what I thought that they would ever change. Uh, and I was just reviewing this morning how life has so changed since I was young. I can remember going to school, my brothers and myself, there were three brothers of mine plus myself, there were four of us, and my mother would take us into the backyard on the lawn, we had a lawn, you know, guys know what a lawn is? We had a lawn in the backyard, and I was wearing a paisley green shirt with a belt and black Levi's and Converse tennis shoes, and so were my brothers, and we all kind of dressed alike, and we were shipped off to school, and now it's not that way. The first day of school, is it online? Is it in person? We would walk a mile and a half to school in the snow, back and forth. Both No, we, we would walk to school, and there was really no fear of walking a mile. And that was when I was in kindergarten. And to think of doing that today would be unthinkable. And, and just how society, in the last 15 years, we have been transformed. Cell phones did not exist 15 years ago. Personal computer was just coming into being. And now it has revolutionized what has taken place. And just how we can go from place to place and the jets flying to and fro, at least some jets still are flying to and fro, and maybe that will pick back up and people will be employed again but it has changed some ways maybe for the better because it has caused some of us to be better individuals and there are better things that are coming ahead maybe technologically speaking speaking of that did you see where Elon Musk is looking for volunteers to implant chips in their brains so that they can be hyperhumans I guess is what you might call it and so he wants to do this. This was in the news yesterday. I just read that. So some things, it has turned out for our good. Others, uh, it has not turned out for our good. Economically, I would say it has not turned out for our good. Although the stock market is up, things are looking up in that direction. Uh, psychologically, suicides are up. There are more people died that have died in the first seven months of this year than all of last year. And also politically, uh, the tensions are rising and there's debate going back and forth and there may not be a presidential debate. We'll have to see how that turns out. 
but things that are changing. Vote by mail is being pushed rather than going in and participating at a local polling place. And even our church here has been affected. You know, there are those, because we are going to open, they left the church. There are those, because we are closed, they left the church. And how, how do you compete with that? Things are changing. And you know, when it comes to being solid and being grounded and weathering storms, that type of thing, the Lord lets us know, don't trust in our own hearts. We're to trust in what He tells us. And what he says in his word. But the tragic thing is, and Patty and I were talking about this the other day, about our beliefs that we hold. And these beliefs, we would think, even as believers, as Christians, we can be unified. All we have to do is turn to the word, rightly divide it, and things should be fine, not taking it out of context. But Patty and I, we came to the conclusion and I'm sure several others have as well, that people believe what they want to believe. And whatever they believe is whatever allows them to justify what they want to do. And that's the sinful side of the human race. All of us have that propensity. We just want to do what we want to do, and we want to justify that. An example, and we don't really want to change our minds. Somebody posted this online. They said, people change their minds... When you show them facts, this is what an individual said. And somebody responded. And they responded by saying, actually, studies show that's not true. And linked two sources. And he said, yeah, well, I think it still works. So people, they, they don't want to change their minds about things. And it's difficult. Change is hard. You know, in, in our society... Change has been extremely difficult for most going home and working from home. Some love it. They're able to stay home in their pajamas, only wear the top part of their suit, and they have shorts on and the, the bottom part, and that's just fine. But change is hard. Change is difficult. Well, hopefully, we'll be able to look at God's Word and allow it to change us rather than we, who look at the Scripture, try to change its meaning where we stick with it. And there are people in the past and today that try to change the meaning of Scripture, what Scripture has to say and what it teaches. Now, we go through the Bible book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and we are to trust in what it has to say when it's properly interpreted. Now, the book that I'm going to go through today, it's a small book. It's right after 1 Corinthians, or because I just did 1 Corinthians, I should say, I'm going to take a one-chapter book. Now, if you know anything about the Scripture, there's only a limited possibility of what the one-chapter books could be inside of the Scriptures. And that particular book would be the book of Jude. And so if you have your Bibles, or you're at home, or you have an electronic Bible app, I would invite you to open that up. Now, one of the issues that really is being focused on here, one of the main issues, is the fact that there were teachers coming in trying to change what Scripture had to say. And they were being quite effective, and so Jude, or Judas was his name, his full name. I think that they just changed the name because they didn't want to associate him with Judas who betrayed Jesus. But in the book of Jude, he wanted to warn the people and have them contend for the faith because there are those teachers who come in 
that actually twist Scripture for their own ends, for their own means. And there, are, as far as the possibilities of who authored this, some have been speculating about that. One is Judas Barsabbas or Bar Abbas in Acts chapter 15, verse 22. If you remember, he's the one that was exchanged for Jesus at the crucifixion. Or, excuse me, that was Jesus Barsabbas. But then there's also Judas, an apostle, uh, and that one is seemed unlikely because he is the one that betrayed or betrayed Jesus. And then there's Judas, the half brother of Jesus, the son of Mary and Joseph, also the brother of James, the full brother of James, the author of the epistle of James, also the half brother of Jesus. So Jesus had other family members, and we know this in Mark chapter six, verse three. Uh, a comment was made, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. So Jesus had siblings that he grew up with. Now, two people or two different organizations, two different churches, two different views are out there as far as Jesus and his extended family. Uh, some believe that Jesus was the one who had the immaculate conception and was perpetually a virgin, a virgin that she never slept with the man. She never slept with Joseph. And they speculate that Joseph had other children, uh, older children, supposedly. And there's a, a problem with them being younger. Let's just overlook that. Let's not pay attention to that because Jesus would have been the firstborn of Mary, uh, certainly. But we, we have these other brothers and sisters that are listed here. And one of them, like I said, is Judas. And the other one is James. And we know the author of the book of James is the brother or half-brother of Jesus. Well, Mary, it never says in Scripture that she was perpetually a virgin. She ended up sleeping with uh, Joseph. They had a physical relationship. And they had brothers and sisters. And it would be uh, very evident from Scripture that he had a large family. Uh, the parents were there. James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon were there, and sisters, not just one, but chances are there were probably two or three or maybe four sisters. So you can imagine the size of this family, and God would have blessed that family anyhow. And we know that certainly Judas had an influence, or Jude had an influence in the New Testament church, and so did James. But once Jesus raised from the dead, that is when the brothers ended up believing, probably the whole family at that time, but that's when the brothers ended up believing in who Jesus was, the actual Messiah. Now, Jude writes this book for a particular purpose, and it's spelled out here in the first couple of verses. So I'm going to take it up in verse 1. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved by God the Father and kept by Christ. If we can go ahead and just turn on all the lights back there, that would be great. Uh, yeah, up. You push up on all of them. There you go. And Jude, Jude identified his readers as Christians in three specific ways. And they were called, a person who was called to be in Christ. And there are those who are sanctified by God the Father and those who were preserved in Jesus. He, he keeps us in salvation. So he's referring to believers. He's not referring to unbelievers. I'm just going to read it again. Verse 1, Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who have been called, who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be yours 
in abundance. So he identifies who he's talking to. And then he says in verse 3, Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge you to contend for the faith that was once for all entrusted to the saints. And so they're supposed to contend for the faith. They're supposed to battle with a war of words, not with physical abuse or anything. This idea that the gospel is what it is. We don't have to change it. We don't have to modify it. We don't have to uh, uh, tailor it to somebody else. And they were called upon by Jude, who is Judas, the brother of Jesus, to keep the gospel what it is. Now, during this time, there were those who were known as the Gnostics. And Gnostics, they had a particular view. One was that Jesus could not be human because anything that is physical is evil. Therefore, Jesus could not be human. He could not be physical. He was only spiritual. And then another view came along that, no, he was certainly not spiritual. He was just a good guy that elevated himself above everybody else here on earth. And there were lots of heresies that were going around during that time. And so he's calling upon them to battle for the faith, to know what they believe and be able to defend what the gospel is. Now, he probably would have written this letter uh, in, uh, to show the people that they have a wonderful faith. And it even says that. He says in verse 3, again, I was eager to write you or to you about the salvation we share. Now, if that's the case, have you ever written a letter to somebody telling them about the salvation that you hold? Have you ever talked to somebody about the salvation that is offered to them as well. And I sat down and I I thought to myself, well, what would that look like if you explained to someone the gospel that is in Scripture that's unadulterated? And, you know, as I thought about it, I started writing a few things down. I would go up to somebody and I would have them... Uh, understand and explain to them that there is a God who created everything, even me, even you. And he wanted to have relationship with me, and by accident, or by our ancient relatives, I should say, not by accident, but our ancient relatives, they rebelled against him. And as a result, he banished them and all their children and placed a curse on them. So they rebelled against God. This curse meant that everyone would suffer and be punished forever. That's what the rebellion That's the result of the rebellion, of not doing what God wanted. And they were perfect, and they had the capability to do what was perfect. But the same God, because of his love and great mercy, decided that he wanted to give everyone a chance to ultimately be free from suffering and punishment. He didn't want to leave the people he had created in their state that was going to lead to suffering and punishment forever. And you see, we were the ones who rebelled It isn't God who's sitting on high saying, I'm going to create someone and then punish them. He's not doing that. I actually had an opportunity this week. Somebody came to me and they they were talking to me how bad things were for them and how little things were just going wrong all the time. And he expressed that he thought God was punishing him. And I said, God doesn't work like that. If you are of God's household, He may discipline you, but he's not punishing you. He doesn't take enjoyment. He's not a capricious God where he just starts slapping punishments on people just because he wants to. He cares about us and he loves us and he wants only that which is good for us. And it is not God 
who is the one who is hateful. It is we who are cursed. It is the we who have forsaken goodness. It is we. We are the ones who are harmful. But God promises to change all that. He wants to. We simply must be willing to let him do it. Those who choose not to believe that he can save us will remain under the curse, suffering and punishment forever will be theirs. And for those who believe, there will be honor given to them. They will never hunger or thirst. They will never shed any more tears. They will never suffer or be punished. They will only be blessed and full of joy forever. That's the gospel. That's probably something along the lines that Jude was going to write to the other believers. This is what we have. Just to establish it. We need to be prepared to do the same thing. And then contend for that faith. Don't let somebody just come in and say, well, I don't think that that's particularly the case. I heard uh, yesterday somebody told me who's seeking. Uh, this person we, that I know also knows Miles McPherson. And Miles McPherson has been talking to this particular person, giving this person some insight, what the gospel is. And this person is resisting, just won't go forward, just won't make the leap of faith, just continually keeps on asking questions. And it's our job, it will be my job, I'm sure, in the future, to sit down with this person and say, look, you are intelligent, you understand these things, you can accept the gospel of Christ. You can accept him as your Lord and Savior. And we have to be ready to do that. And there are others that would come along and dissuade someone like that. That say, no, you can't honestly believe that a God created everything. That we didn't just evolve. And so they would be standing as a contrarian to the gospel of God. And we have to be able to stand up and say, no, what you're saying is not true. This is what Jude is telling those to the believers that he's writing to. You have to be able to contend for the faith and specifically against individuals who have slipped into the church. Now that's the word that is used here in English. And if you said slipped into the church, well, what if I gave it some more synonyms? What about sneaked, snuck, crept? slinked, slithered. All of those are synonyms. If somebody came into the church in that fashion, what animal does that remind you of? A snake hiss. I think that's in Robin Hood, the cartoon or something like that. Just a deceiver. And have you ever thought about it? Have you ever heard a snake coming? You can't hear him coming. It's not like a horse. You can hear a horse coming. A snake just slithers in there ever so quiet where you're really not noticing that they come in the house. Have you ever had a snake inside your house? We have. We've come in there and, snake! And we go for the snake to get the snake. How did it get in? We didn't hear it open the door. It just, you know, it just came right in and we took it. We've also had tarantulas and we've also had scorpions in there and centipedes and all of that, but it's because we live you know, on the edge of the country right there. And all those things, they tend to make their way inside the house. But inside the church, someone, an individual comes in and they slither in. They sneak in. In verse 4 it says, For certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. 
They are godless men who change the grace of our Lord into the license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. And so this is the reason why he wants them to contend for the faith. So somebody came into the church, they probably built themselves up inside the church, they probably were using flattery to get where they wanted to be, then they started teaching doctrines that were not part of the doctrine of the Christian church, not part of the doctrine of who Jesus Christ was. And Paul encouraged Timothy, remember, watch your life and doctrine closely, because if you do, you'll save not only yourselves, but your hearers as well. And so we want to make sure we examine, well, what is a false teacher that would slink in, that would slither in, that would come in like a snake and just slip into the body? Well, according to this book, this chapter, they deny the lordship of Christ. They exercise sinful license. They rebel against authority. They're giving in to their own desires. They're being concerned only with gain for themselves. They are being divisive inside the church. They are fault finders and they are boasters. If you see somebody come inside the church, especially if they get in a position of teaching and you see any one of these characteristics, yeah, I'm so good. I, I have converted so many people. You'd be surprised how many people have come to faith under my ministry. Or what if, oh, I can't believe they would be doing something like fault finders, murmurers, complainers, that type of thing. We're supposed to pay attention to people who do that. And these false teachers are, to summarize it a little bit uh, in a little bit fewer words, godless, they're immoral, they're perverting the grace of God, they deny Jesus as the Messiah, and they're stealth individuals. They work in a, a covert action, secretly or obscurely inside the church and they'll talk to one person here and one person there and one person over there and they'll try to gain a following this is what happened in the church of corinth they the person was people were just going through the church and they're gaining a following for themselves but we know that these false teachers will be judged god judges the disobedient like this those who were of the people of god in the nation of israel they were judged those of the angelic realm were judged and those of the world are going to be judged and the lord judges believers but it comes in the form of discipline but we still go to heaven when the lord judges the nation of israel angelic realm and the world they're not going to heaven and he talks about some examples he has a triad here of things from the old testament and of course the recipients of this letter would have known about egypt sodom and gomorrah moses cain balaam korah enoch adam and the fallen angels they would have known those stories so he goes on in verse six and says and the angels who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their own home these he has kept in darkness bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day so there is this place it's called tataru in the greek where it is dark it is the darkest of dark you cannot see your hand in front of your face and they are bound these angelic fallen angels are bound until judgment day they're not allowed to to come out until that great day and then there's sodom and gomorrah in a similar way sodom and gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion they serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire and, and that's kind of self-evident what's being talked about here the sexual perversion that is going on those who are involved in that they are going to suffer eternal punishment eternal fire daniel chapter 12 verse 2 matthew chapter 25 verse 46 it never ends and then of course we know the nation of israel um, going back in verse 5 it says i want to remind you 
that the Lord delivers his people out of Egypt and later destroys those who did not believe. And so for 40 years, remember the Israelites, they wandered in the wilderness and they were the most stiff-necked, unruly, rebellious people that could be there. Like Korah, remember Korah, how he rebelled? Uh, And going on in verse 8, he uses another little trilogy here. It says, in the very same way, these dreamers pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and slander celestial beings. And so these uh, false teachers polluting their own bodies. I mean, what could that possibly mean? It's, it's probably drugs, alcohol, something that they had. They, they abused their own bodies in such ways that were not holy or in keeping with a holy life. They rejected authority. Anybody who would stand up and proclaim something, they would just reject that. And that's, I believe, inside the church. They would reject the authority inside the church, and they would also slander celestial beings. Who is Satan, and who are these angels? And you could just see them being so prideful in their persona, so to speak, that they did not consider humility to be a part of their makeup, one of the characteristics that they would try to... Uh, ingratiate one that they would try to exemplify to others and in verse 9 he goes on to give an example of this but even the archangel michael when he was disputing with the devil about the body of moses did not dare bring a slanderous accusation against him but said the lord rebuke you so even michael an archangel did not engage in slandering celestial beings but these teachers who were coming in are doing that very thing and of course we know that Moses died and the Lord buried his, his body. In Deuteronomy chapter 34, it talks about that. And the devil wanted it. Of course, we know the devil would have used it in some way. Uh, probably would have made a shrine out of his body. And, and his body may have been miraculously preserved because Satan's a powerful individual. And people would have wanted to come and see the body of Moses. And they would have flocked and they would have ended up making the body of Moses uh, something that was an idol, just like the the stake that was put up in the wilderness with a snake on it that it had to be destroyed later because people were visiting that and they were worshiping it and they made it into a shrine where they would uh, actually commit idolatry and God had to remove that. So, of course, that's why Satan wanted the body of Moses. And then verse 10, yet these means, these men speak abusively against whatever they do not understand and what things they do not or excuse me, they do understand by instinct, like unreason, excuse me, unreasoning animals, these are the very things that destroy them. And so the things that they don't understand, they just raise their voice a little bit. Have you ever seen a, a good debate where somebody remains completely calm and they just use information to win the debate and the person on the other side becomes flummoxed? And when they do, they become confused. They don't know what to say. And so what they do when they're trying to make their case, a logical case, a philosophical case, they commit a logical error. They jump immediately to an ad hominem attack. They attack the person rather than address the issue which is being discussed. And that's what he's saying these false teachers will do. They will not go to the issue. They attack the person. And they feel that if they attack the person, then they will win the argument. But in fact, they have already lost the argument as soon as they go there. And so these false teachers were coming in, and they were just as prideful as can be. And there's a condemnation given to them in verse 11. Woe to them! They have taken the way of Cain, 
They have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. He's given us a, a roadmap. Who is a false teacher and who is not? Well, he gives us examples here. Like there's Cain. What was Cain's sin? Cain's sin was really pride, haughtiness. He hated what God had set up as far as the practice of religion and bring sacrifices. They knew that God had talked to them about how to bring a sacrifice and he didn't bring it. It wasn't, or he didn't bring it like the Lord said. It wasn't acceptable to God. And therefore he got angry. Well, what am I going to do now? And he went out and he killed his brother. He, he slew him and his blood went on the ground all because of pride, because his feelings were hurt on the inside. And he, so if a false teacher comes into the church and he's full of pride and he easily gets hurt, she easily gets hurt, we're to take note of that. It's like, don't you know, you'd be in any church long enough, you're going to be offended. Just wait. It just takes a matter of time. And you'll be offended either by me, the pastor, or you'll be offended by someone else who serves it. It's going to happen. Just get over it. We want to be humble and say, okay, well, you're probably right. I probably am just a filthy, rotten sinner. I know scripture says that. And sorry about that. And just kind of move on. You know, that's what we want to do. So that's the problem with Cain. And then there's Balaam. Of course, Balaam was a prophet for hire. But the thing that he really did was he enticed the enemies of Israel. And he said, this is what you do to get Israel to be tripped up. Take your young daughters, the beautiful daughters, put them into the camp of the Israelites and have the daughters sleep with the men. And of course, all the men fell. And the Lord knew what Balaam was doing. And remember, Balaam is the one that was talking to a jackass. Remember that? And, and the, the jackass ended up speaking back to him. And then he answered, you know, back to the donkey. And, and, and so this, these people that are listed here Balaam I don't know that this guy is saved even though God directed him I was asked that question recently can God use somebody that is not saved well I think Balaam was probably not saved and he was in error do I think Cain was saved do I think Korah was saved Uh, no I don't think that they were and of course this is Balaam's error he taught people how to commit sin and if you look at that inside the church a false teacher is going to teach people how to commit sin. They're going to take advantage of the grace of God. Should we sin, that grace may much more abound? The book of Romans says, God forbid that we should do that. Also, Korah in Numbers chapter 16. Of course, we see that he was full of rebellion. He did not, to, he did not submit to authority. Him along with 250 leaders, they decided that, well, who's Moses? He's no big deal. We can do what he does. We can burn incense before the Lord. And they, they all got their little censers and they put the incense in there. And, and Moses said, okay, we're going to see who's for the Lord today and who's not. You guys know the story. And this is where Korah presented himself and all these other men were there. And they had their censers there. And they're, yeah, we're going to worship the Lord just the same. And, of course, the Lord said to Moses, stand back. <laughs> Stood back, ground opens up and swallows them whole. that's what's going to happen to those who are false teachers, just like Cain, just like Korah, just like Balaam. So if somebody comes in the church and they exhibit these characteristics of pride, they don't uh, humble themselves before the authorities that God has set up, that type of thing inside the church, if we see those characteristics, we're to know, and especially if they're teachers, 
or they're trying to sway people, we should know that they mean no good for those in the body of Christ. Verse 12, these men are blemishes at your love feast, eating with you without the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only themselves. They are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit and uprooted twice dead. They are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame, wandering stars for whom the blackest darkness has been reserved forever. Well, what about this blemish at your love feast? What is this idea? Well, imagine we used to have this in high school. I think you guys know what the word mooch is, right? If you don't know what the word mooch is, it's somebody who comes along and mooches off of somebody else. It's slang. You might find it in the regular dictionary, but I can remember this word being used in high school. And there would be people in high school when we'd sit around on benches, they would come along and they would just pilfer some of your food. Oh, what's that? And they'd grab it and they'd put it in their mouth. You know, whether it was french fries or some pizza or a brownie or something like that. And these guys at the love feasts, they would probably come in, not bring a thing, sit down and go, hmm, that looks good. And they would grab some because after all, you're sharing everything. And so they would mooch off the people that were there. They weren't participating. And it's not like they were probably poor and they couldn't because then you would just give them food. You know, they're poor. You can't blame them for being poor. You're going to help them out. And remember in 1 Corinthians, Paul was talking about that. That's what you want to do. But these teachers would come in and they would be moochers on the body of Christ. They would be a blemish at the love feast, eating with you without a slightest qualm. Oh, this is so good. Oh, I went away so stuffed from that fellowship the other day. It was great. When are we having another one? You know, something like that. Then the shepherds who feed only themselves, they wouldn't grab some food and go give it to somebody else. Oh, yeah, bring that thing. Oh, oh, that looks wonderful. Just go ahead and bring that thing over here. There are clouds without rain. Now, if you're a farmer and you have clouds without rain, is it a good thing? You're going, where's the rain? There's supposed to be some rain. In the East County here now, we're having the cumulus nimbus clouds. And I was up in Pine Valley the other day and down towards Alpine and Lakeside and East County, just as clear as a bell. And all of a sudden, overhead, just this frog strangler gully washer came down in the middle up there of Pine Valley. And everybody was running for cover, getting underneath. Everywhere else, you could look out in the distance, just crystal clear everywhere else. Well, imagine a cloud like that comes over and no rain comes down and you're a farmer. You're going to, well, I'm so disappointed. You think it's going to be a blessing, but they end up being a disappointment, those people inside the church who are these false teachers. Also, blown along by the wind, autumn trees, without fruit and uprooted twice dead. So these trees, they don't produce fruit. They also fall over and it's work to get them taken care of. And they are twice dead. There's no benefit to the body of Christ whatsoever. Also, they are wild waves of the sea foaming up their shame. Now, wild waves of the sea. I don't know about you, but I've been out on the sea when it's been pretty rough. You know what sea legs are? Sea legs are where you are on the boat and your focus is on the horizon and your legs are moving to keep your head still. So you're going around like this. And you want your head to remain still because you're feeling a little woozy on the inside. 
And, and you want to make sure you're not going to get sick. I have been on fishing trips and so many fishermen, they just don't do well when it gets a little rough out there. I've been out with Buzz when the waves are way over the boat and I would tell Buzz, we need to turn around and go the other way. Just, you know, having it there. But if you have your sea legs as well, sea legs talking about, you're used to it. You could just go all day long and it's not going to be a problem and you don't have this motion sickness going on. But these waves cause people to be sick. They just go back and forth and there's foam everywhere and it's just not a pleasant process to go through. And that's what these false teachers are like. They just cause trouble and people are sick and they're, they're not healthy when this is taking place. And also wandering stars. Imagine you're on a boat and you use the stars to navigate. Now today, you know which one is a satellite and which one is a star. Imagine if they had... How many satellites are we going to have now? Like thousands upon thousands which are up there. And Elon Musk and I think Amazon, they're throwing up satellites by the thousands right now for this 5G network that's going to be up there. Well, imagine if those stars moved. You couldn't navigate as somebody in the sea. So he's saying that if you are a uh, sailor in the sea and you're looking to navigate and you're trying to get your bearings with the stars up in the, in the sky, like the North Star, it, it remains where it is. It doesn't move at all. Imagine if that would move every once in a while. You'd be hundreds and hundreds of miles off course. That's what happens with a false teacher. He comes inside the church and he moves people hundreds of miles off course. You see the characteristics that are there? And just to read it again in another version... This is the Living Bible. I don't recommend it for true, in-depth Bible study, but sometimes it gives some descriptive phrases in here. It says, When these men join you at the love feast of the church, they are evil smears among you, laughing and carrying on, gorging and stuffing themselves without thought for others. They are like clouds blowing over dry land without giving rain, promising much but producing nothing. They are like fruit trees without any fruit at picking time. They are not only dead, but doubly dead. For they have been pulled out, roots and all, to be burned. All they leave behind them is shame and disgrace, like the dirty foam left along the beach by the wild waves. They wander around looking as bright as stars, but ahead of them is the everlasting gloom and darkness that God has prepared for them. So that's another way of describing what we've just gone through, these These men are no good, these women, they can be women too, are no good inside the church. Verse 14 says, Enoch, the seventh friend of Adam, prophesied about these men. See, the Lord is coming with ten thousand, or thousands, upon thousands of his holy ones. And Enoch was a prophet. And of course, this we know that he was raptured before the flood. Verse 15 says, To judge everyone and to convict all the ungodly of all the ungodly acts they have done in the ungodly way. And of all the harsh words ungodly sinners have spoken against him, these men are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter other, other, excuse me, others for their own advantage. So anybody who is a murmurer, who is a fault finder, who is a complainer, we really should have nothing to do with them. We, we should first reprove them. Say, what are you complaining about? I mean, there's so much we could complain about, but there's always somebody who has it worse. I just saw, I was watching, um, 
what's the name of that program, uh, River Monsters or something like that. The guy goes out fishing and he talked to this other fisherman and he had been bit by a fish that opened up his arm. He had lost his leg stepping on a nail. He was showing all these different uh, wounds that he had on his body and he was happy to talk to this fisherman who was there. But he had it pretty rough. Somebody always has it worse and we can always find ways to complain, but inside the church... People who are constantly complaining, who are murmuring, well, I don't think Pastor Bill should do that. I don't think that that would be a good idea. What do you think about that? Let's go talk to somebody else. That's murmuring inside the church. We ought not to do it. If you have an issue with me, come talk to me. If you have an issue with somebody else, go talk to them. Don't don't get a little uh, grouping around yourself and say, this is terrible, this ought not to go on. And fault finders, wow, look at the damage that has been done here. You ought not to do that and... Just complaining all the time. Those who are false teachers will do that. They have little pet peeves. Things should be different. Things shouldn't go that way. They have little complaints or grievances that they would bring forth to others in a secret fashion. Remember, they slither into the church, hissing the whole time. Verse 17 says, But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the men who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. I would say this of the church, uh, churches who are buying into BLM Inc., to the woke movement which is out there, to the social justice movement, they are buying into the false teaching. And those People who are teaching that inside the churches, either they are just deceived or they're doing so willingly. And we need to pray for them that they would turn, that they would repent from that and make sure that they follow what the word teaches. It says, these are the men who will divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. But you, dear friends, build yourselves up in the most holy faith and pray in the Holy Spirit. To build yourself up in the faith means you have to be active. You have to put your hands to the plow. You have to start going forward. You have to do the work that God has called all of us to do. If somebody is complacent, if they're doing nothing inside the church, if they're just saying, I don't need to do that, somebody else will take care of it, well, that individual will not be built up in their faith. And once somebody starts serving, then they're going to have trials. Who wants to sign up? Yeah, this idea, let's go ahead and sign up, let's do something, and then trials come along. But the trials work to benefit us in our faith. Instead of saying, no, no, I don't think I'm going to do that, say, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do that. Just go forward, especially if you know it's of the Lord. Don't turn down the Lord. And so we, we go on here, building up ourselves in the most holy faith and praying the Holy Spirit. This doesn't mean praying in tongues. This just simply means pray as you're guided by the Holy Spirit to pray. And the Holy Spirit lives in us and we're able to be in tune with what he would have us intercede for. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Snatch others from the fire and save them to others show mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. And so there are always going to be people who doubt and I think doubt is a part of faith. If you're really trying to perfect your faith, you're going to run across to issues of doubt. I know people who have checked into the Word and they cannot understand 
fully comprehend, and I don't think anybody really can, why God would have entire societies just wiped out, kill men, women, children, and animals. That, that's a hard one to comprehend. Now, theologically speaking, we can arrive at an answer. Yep, this is it, sin. God is just, just doing that. But on the compassion side, it's difficult to take that in and say a loving God did this. And I could see why the atheist would think that. But if you take the whole counsel of God, it provides some understanding. So what are we supposed to do with these false teachers and being aware of them? I I don't think we have an issue with that here. I don't think anyone is a false teacher. But if somebody comes in who is, you, you just want to start preparing. You want to know the word. If you know the word, you're able to give a reason for the hope that lies within. One person I just uh, reflected on that knows Miles, that particular person came up the other day and said, I think I believe in reincarnation. And I'm thinking, no, reincarnate, you don't get a do-over. It's, it's one time. And of course, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it's appointed unto man once to die and then face judgment. That's it. We don't have to come back and do it again. You know, I, I think there was a movie by Meryl Streep a long time ago, Defending Your Life, where you just had to keep on going back and, and getting it right and, and Groundhog Day. We don't have a Groundhog Day. And so we want to be prepared. We want to know the word. We want to uh, put down everything that exalts itself against God. And we can only do that by knowing his word, having it in our heart. And also uh, praying the Holy Spirit. Like I said, this is not the gift of tongues, but it's simply being led by the Spirit. And we want to have some purpose. We want to keep ourselves in God's love. Be determined to continue in the faith. How many people during this COVID do you know of that just said, uh, yeah, I'm just going to stay home. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to tune in. And by the way, just a parenthetical thought. We're not doing Zoom uh, today. If you have a prayer request, please send that into the website. We'll go ahead and take care of it. I know it was announced that we were going to, uh, but we are not since we're able to open up. But this idea of making sure we're continuing in the faith. Let me ask you a question. Do you think I ever feel like I I don't want to get up and go do the message today? I always want to come do the message, really. But getting up? I, I don't want to get up. You've heard the joke. I, I've told it before. This uh, woman comes into the man and says, get up. It's time to go to church. And the guy takes the covers and he throws them over his shoulder. And, uh, just grumbles and lays there. And she comes in again and five minutes says, get up. It's time for church. You need to get ready. And the guy says, I don't want to go to church. Those people, they're a bunch of hypocrites and get in arguments all the time. They don't even like me over there. She goes, get up. You're the pastor. You know, so you ever think this, those things sometimes, you know, it's, it's like it's difficult to, to walk the walk, but we have to subdue the flesh. We have to go forward, even though it's hard. Christ called us to this, and it's not so hard that we can't handle it. And if it ever gets so hard that we can't, well, the Lord takes us. We go home. And, and it's all good. It's all glory for us at the end. And, and that's how this letter is ended with a word of encouragement 
to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. So, yes, we are to contend for the faith in the face of false teachers, those who would take advantage of the sheep, but be encouraged, even though it's going to be hard There's a blessing at the end of it. It's deferred gratification or delayed gratification. If we just persevere, when it's all said and done, the Lord's going to say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, how it brings insight to us. We understand that there are those with nefarious intent. Uh, Specious arguments are made those who would attack the body, those who would set themselves up. Help us always to be diligent, be aware of who they are and be able to confront them if they mean harm to your body. We ask also, Lord, that you would bless the fellowship, those who are still remaining home, bless them where they are. We pray that you would uh, enable them to come, that this COVID would die down, die back, and you would restore us to complete fellowship where we don't have to worry or fret, and you've told us never to do so. But Father, we seek your blessing, for only you can bring them. In Jesus' name, amen.